Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. Hey, I don't know about you, but have you ever said to yourself, how can I be more spiritual? Or... How can I be more holy? Anybody? Is that just me and I'm projecting shamelessly? See, I'm not talking about like church lady holy from Saturday Night Live. You know what I'm talking about. Or Betty Bowers, America's best Christian from theonion.com. No, what prompts this question is that true desire for spiritual seeking, for things such as oneness or connection with God or nature or knowing the immediacy of that experience that Paul talks about of Christ in you, the hope of glory, to really know that as a lived experience rather than an intellectual or spiritual construct. Because in the divisive times that we have, or times of pandemic that we have, sometimes there is that within us that's saying, there's got to be more than that. And truly, I can co-create or be a part of something more than that. Or maybe you've had the experience like Jesus did on the cross, reciting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know anybody who at some point in their life journey hasn't said something like that. Or maybe you don't really have a crisis in your life right now. Or maybe you've kind of made peace with the facts as they are. And maybe there's just been a self-assessment within you that it allows you to make that desire or to express a need to really clean up your act, as it were, and reconnect with that essential and fundamental part of yourself that is your inherent goodness, which for whatever reason, may not quite be at the forefront of your experience. And again, I don't know anyone who hasn't been there at a time or two. So in this Lenten period, this six week of spiritual preparation for Easter and all that it symbolizes, we find the perfect experience or the perfect environment to endeavor to become more holy, however you define that term to be. Howard Thurman, the iconoclastic American theologian whose meditations are the inspiration for this Lenten season, suggests three areas in which we might be more holy. Our minds, our words, and our hearts. So in today's lesson, we will explore each one of those. And thankfully, once again, Amy has written original music to go with each section. And as we are a new thought community, it seems appropriate that we would begin with figuring out how to be more holy in our minds.
has your house, has your mind, rather, ever felt like a house divided? You know, the origin of that phrase is found in the synoptic gospels of Mark, Matthew, and Luke, and is attributed to Jesus. And in Mark chapter 3, it goes, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will be unable to stand. So have you ever felt conflicting thoughts when trying to figure out what to do, who to be, what to make for dinner? You know, as an aside, it's been said that the worst part of adulthood, I'm talking to you, Audrey, the worst part of adultery is you have to figure out what to make for dinner the rest of your life but that's a different talk for a different day. And I don't mean to frighten you. Your mom and dad figured it out. So what do you do when it feels like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place and you have to make a decision? Because I know that we've all been there. Or what do you do when you realize that your thoughts are leading you to actions that become outcomes that are inconsistent with your goals or your dreams or even your own well-being. You know, often that process of discernment, of identification and releasing of these discordant thoughts will often cause others to question you. What are you doing? Because they are accustomed to you being in a certain way. You know, just... Ask somebody who is in that process of defining and setting new personal boundaries. What's the reaction that people give them? Well, you're just really being difficult now, aren't you? We were accustomed to you being a doormat. Now you're not being a doormat. What's wrong with you? Or ask somebody new in recovery how their bar friends are reacting to their sobriety. You get the picture. As we go through that process of bringing our thoughts into a more alignment with who and what we are and the truth of our being, we do act differently sometimes. And often it feels uncomfortable because we were accustomed to being a certain way and we're not that anymore. So we have to develop a new habit, a new habit of thought, a new habit of being. I think the idea of being uh, more holy in mind was best articulated by Paul in his letter to the Romans when he said, 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Which, to which I would add, like you, every one of us, good, acceptable, and perfect. Sometimes the greatest house-dividing thoughts are the ones not of that that we need to lay aside and move on. But as we allow this process of truth of being more holy in our minds to take root, the natural progression is that that shows up in our words. Jesus addressed the topic of being more holy in one's words in his teaching on, of all things, the dietary laws of his day as recorded in this chapter in Matthew. Then he called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles but Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. Then he said, are you still without understanding? I mean, he was getting really frustrated. And in some of the translations, Jesus just lays it out there in very coarse languaging. What? What do you, what do you not get about that? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and then out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and that's what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. 
these are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Well, all that being said, Jesus, y'all should still wash your hands before you start cooking and before you eat. I'm just saying. So I, I want to add a line in my Bible but to that effect. But anyway, remember that old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Not exactly true, is it? I mean, we tell kids that because sometimes kids absentmindedly say mean things, and sometimes adults do too. And sometimes it's the words, though, that somebody else says to us that do the most damage. And even beyond that, sometimes it's the words we say to ourselves that stick the dagger in. They may, in fact, be the most damaging of all, which is why it is imperative that we learn to love ourselves and to speak to ourselves as a, the, the most love we can bring to our being. We don't beat each other up or don't beat ourselves up in hopes of getting better. We coach, we mentor, we encourage, we prompt, we love, but we use words that build up to heal, not to bruise. So this understanding of these words that come out of the heart, come out of our being, leads me, leads us to the third section in our pathway towards becoming more holy, the path of the heart. heard the expression hard-hearted? 
or felt that way yourself. It connotes such things as being unkind, unfeeling, tough, closed down, emotionally unavailable, you name it. And there's nothing really holy about being hard-hearted, is there? The first known usage of that term in the English language was in Geoffrey Chaucer's 1374 translation of a 6th century treatise, Consolation of Philosophy, by Anesius Bothius. You might need to know that someday for a trivia contest, and you'll be really glad you were here. And you'll thank me. But a better example of the term is found in a comment in Mark chapter 6 that ties two very important and well-known stories together in a very subtle and powerful way. So I'll paraphrase the setup and then just give you a few key lines of text. So earlier in Mark chapter 6 is a story about feeding the 5,000 with two loaves and five fish. And the story is found, albeit with different slants, in Matthew and John as well. Theologians provide many explanations for how was this possible, but the one that works most for me has to do with how things were back in the day. Because there were no 7-Elevens to stop at. There were no Wawa's. You just couldn't jump into a convenience store and pick something up when you're going from point A to point B. You had to carry all your food with you, probably under a cloak, so people would know what you are carrying with you. But then they gathered these 5,000 people, and as it says, and women and children, so there were probably more than 5,000. They gathered, and they heard this message about the kingdom of God and its inclusive nature, where everyone was welcome and valued and a part, and their hearts were open to the spirit of generosity and, I might add, unity. And so when it was time to eat, they opened their cloaks and shared generously one with the other so much so that there was plenty left over to share. And upon dismissing the crowd, Jesus told his disciples, take the boat, go across the lake. I want to stay here and pray for a while. I need to reconnect with the peace within me. However, the winds kicked up and the boat was rocking and, and the disciples on the boat were terrified. So Jesus is like, okay, what am I going to do? So he walks on out to the boat and uh, gets in and things calm down. Now, I'm not really sure how that particular part happened, but I wonder if maybe the disciples were wearing those WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would walk out and say, y'all settle down, it's fine. Take heart, he says. It is I. Do not be afraid, because they thought he was a ghost. And then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded because they did not understand about the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. In short, in other words, if you can't see one miracle, even a great big one, then you probably can't see any miracle. It's like in our opening song, everything is holy now. 
Charles Fillmore, co-founder of the Unity Movement, said that in reality, miracles are events that take place outside the operation of known laws. Because all true action is governed by law, nothing just happens. So we might call some things miraculous that we can't explain. Works for me. If you want to use the term miracle, that's fine. But because they, the, the disciples could not see how awesome, how amazing, how stupendously wonderful it was that these people just decided to share generously with complete strangers. They didn't recognize that for what it was, which was an embodiment and expression that they co-created of the kingdom of God that Jesus was talking about right there. They couldn't see it. Their hearts wouldn't let them see the reality that this is actually possible, that people will care for and share with strangers, that they will give embodiment to the kingdom. And so it was hard for them to imagine anything else miraculous happening. Well, I heard in one of my interviews this weekend, this week, a reminder of something that I had heard before, but it's relevant in this setting. And it's about these disciples. You know, they're, they're kind of numbskulls. If you read the passages and the, the way they're described, they're, they're not the fastest learners. They weren't in the gifted and talented classes. But I was reminded that God doesn't call the prepared. God prepares the called. So if any of us has trouble catching these principles or living them 100% all the time, I know I do, and because I don't, I try. I'm getting prepared. We all are to co-create a world that works for everyone. So your homework this week, very short, very short assignment. It's simply this in this Lenten season, to hold this affirmation in mind and heart. May I be more holy in my mind, my words, and my heart. Whatever's going on in your life, may I be more holy in my mind, my words, and my heart. Let's affirm that together. May I be more holy in my mind, my words, and my heart. And see what happens. Peace be with you and namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.